Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. The conference was fascinating. Um, there were a few takeaways I had. Um, the first is that AI is advancing and getting more powerful and practical. There was a company, for example, that was an AI education company where they monitor your eye movements and facial movements to see if you get bored during the lesson. And then if you are bored, they like switch tacks or do something that like you know reactivates you. I should get one of those for our conversations on this podcast. What are you saying, bro? When, you're, you're, when you get bored with whoever the, well, whoever when the I get hell boring, I'm saying. Yeah, no, or vice versa. It's like, oh, I don't need Zach. I need AI Zach. I need AI Zach. You'll be like, hey, 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 I see your eyes. Step out of it. Um, <laughs> Holy so, cow. So AI oh, God, is... God, can you imagine that? Yeah. There's AI, an art to sleeping when your teacher's not looking when you're in you know, middle school, high school, right? Put your head down. Yeah, apparently AI can see through that shit. Jeez. That sucks. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk about Build Back Better. Uh, Is it going to pass? What does it mean if it doesn't pass? We're also going to talk about this incredible AI conference I attended last week, what the main takeaways were. And then we thought we'd end on some feel-good content recommendations for the holidays. Just some holiday cheer, really. This week on Forward, Zach and I look into each other's eyes because there's a new <laughs> recording studio that has us facing each other as opposed to side by side. Longingly. <laughs> Zach, I never noticed how blue your eyes were. I, I never noticed. Until just now. How close these chairs were <laughs> together. <laughs> Whoever set the studio up. Wow. Set, if you're watching on YouTube, up. we look a lot cooler. For love. Call an upgrade. Yes. Um, so yes, thank you to the team that put this together. Uh, I think the studio looks great. Adam and James, superstars in Texas. Look at uh, this, investing in forward. All sorts of exciting stuff on the horizon. That's really no lie. There, there's a lot yeah. of exciting stuff, we got stuff on the horizon. The news is not that encouraging on other fronts, starting with good old Build Back Better. So I have to say, <laughs> when I talked to Zach about this a little while ago, as in earlier today, I was like, hey, we're going to talk about Build Back Better. And Zach's like... You mean that thing's not in the bag? It's not passing? It's not in the bag. It is not in the bag. It is not in the bag. So, so wait, can you remind everybody, in case they don't follow politics as much as you do, what's Build Back Better supposed to be? Build Back Better has been nicknamed the Social Infrastructure Plan. Uh, mm-hmm. It went from $3.5 trillion to $1.7 trillion. 
it passed the House, and now it's in the Senate, which means it's really in the offices of Joe Manchin, because apparently the Senate is one person now. <laughs> God. Uh, so... Right now, the vast majority of Democrats are on board with some version of the House bill. Yeah. Uh, but it, it truly is that Joe Manchin is looking it over and having long conversations with Joe Biden about what he will and won't sign off on. Mm -hmm. The Senate has a lot of business to attend to. And uh, I will suggest to everyone that most people believe that some version of this bill will pass. The question is when. And if it doesn't pass before the holidays, then the child tax credit payment of $300 per child uh, that's been helping tens of millions of Americans mm -hmm. over the last number of months uh, will be missed in January, which I'm going to suggest is going to be kind of a big deal because if you've been getting monthly payments of a certain amount uh, for the better part of a year now and then they don't happen in January, I think it's going to be something that a lot of people notice. Literally, like millions of Americans are going to look up and be like, "Wait a minute, what? Like that? I thought I was getting that money, and then they they they're not going to get it." So the deadline internally that was put out uh, by uh, the agency that's in charge of administering the child tax credit mm -hmm. payments was that if this bill does not pass by December twenty eighth, then they're going to miss that payment. So isn't the cardinal sin of politics is usually, and then why conservatives don't like entitlement programs, but it's when you give people something and then take it away. So I, you don't usually like to do that, right? So this probably doesn't go well, at least politically. I also am a little pissed because of all the entitlements, I like this one because it's direct cash. Yep. You know, there's not a lot of bureaucracy that can get in the way of that. Everyone agrees that the child tax credit is the biggest public policy achievement victory of the last number of years. It's lifted millions of people out of poverty, millions of kids out of poverty. Yeah. It's widely popular. One of the problems right now for the Democrats in particular is that most recipients of the child tax credit don't understand what it is mm -hmm. and don't understand that the Democrats are behind it. Yeah. And one of the things that I have tried to say is that Democrats are messing up by not pounding their chests every month when the payment goes out. Right, Like the 15th of every month, Millions of checks go out to families around the country that just shows up in their accounts in most cases. Joe Biden every month should be having an event in the White House lawn yeah. saying, hey, the child tax credit alleviating poverty, you know you love it. And every Democratic official, every member of Congress should be doing the same thing. There should be unison on the 15th of every month. Families around the country are rejoicing because of this massive legislative accomplishment. You know what they are crowing about, which is, in my opinion, the wrong move. They're crowing about jobs created in his first 12 months or so as president, which I think is kind of a ridiculous argument because we know that the economy went from closed to open. So no one's like... And we're still down. Right. And it's still not great. jobs last I checked. Um, and then slight gas price reduction when we're already super high. Um, I think Ben Shapiro tweeted something out where it was like, this is a perfect... But I, don't, I follow him on Twitter, but I'm not, you know, Ben... Don't agree with everything Ben says. Apparently we have to clarify that nowadays. But... He's like, there's a perfect like Democrat graph where they've like stretched out the x-axis and take took credit for like a small decrease in slope. Um, the price has gone down in the last like a, five minutes. Yeah, like a little bit. Um, but that like I agree with you. It's like a, the the ship is. I feel like uh, there's a question for you that they're doing things. I feel like they're doing things right, but there's so many other things wrong that they're they're not getting 
they can't get any credit for the right stuff they're doing that in many ways is truly awesome because there's so many other things they're trying to fix them like a, let's call it a sinking ship or a burning building do you agree with that or is it straight up just like not good marketing or maybe it's both they should be taking more credit for their actual accomplishment and it should be crystal clear to the american people uh who delivered these child tax credit payments uh, and also, and this is the tough part for Democrats, is who are you going to blame if they miss this December 20th deadline? It's hard to blame the Republicans blame on that Republicans, one because yeah. it, it's, it's legitimate. It's just like the Democrats uh, <laughs> trying to figure out how to get this thing renewed. My sense of things is that it's going to be difficult for Democrats to complete this bill by year end. The odds of the country missing one of these payments in January seem substantial. <sighs> This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So what's the holdup? Like what is, is it just Joe Manchin? It's just Joe Manchin. And has he gone public with, with why he's, what, what's hanging him up? Or he's just loves this little spotlight moment. He's concerned, I think, is that. that and, and the economic data, there were two data points that came out that yeah. were not positive. Number one was inflation, very high, which very everyone high. expected. And number two is that this $1.7 trillion bill will grow the deficit by $3 trillion over 10 years is what the uh, budget office projects. Right. And the Democrats are saying, no, 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 that's not real. Some of these programs disappear. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that, that $3 trillion is not what you should be concerned about, but Joe Manchin's been very, very public saying, I'm very concerned about the deficit, I'm very concerned about inflation, uh, and he thinks that West Virginia voters are concerned about the same things and will not be excited about this bill passing. So he is the the holdup. Um, now, there are a lot of people in West Virginia, frankly, that are going to be receiving these child tax credit payments. I mean, mm-hmm. like it's, it's extraordinarily popular there, too. Right. Um, so... The question is, when does Joe Manchin decide to sign off on what? So we talked last, we talked a little bit about inflation a couple weeks ago, and I asked you, you know, what, what do you think the root cause is? And you, think, you said a lot of it is supply chain. Um, like, you know, there's less bikes being made, and so um, people, your know, dollar's not, the, the prices of goods are going up because of supply chain. But I do think there's 
bigger macro trends as well here. And it's, I mean, stimulus checks are probably not helping, but not the root cause. Like, do you? I don't think stimulus checks are causing the. the I don't think so either. But well, I mean, what's your what are your thoughts on the inflation situation right now? I guess we'll start. I I think the economy's uh, gotten a lot of energy pumped into it because of some of the measures the Fed's taken. Mm -hmm. And then you have a constraint on supply, and then these things are intertwined. I mean, just look at gas. Are gas prices being high because people have more money in their pockets? I would argue no. I would argue that it's because there are a bunch of freighters off the coast of California that can't get to port. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and you know that, that also influences toys. It influences a lot of other things. I think mm -hmm. that that is the, the proximate cause. Um, but it's also true that we're, we're pumping a lot of uh, liquidity into the system and that some of that is making the economy run hot. Do you think it's an irresponsible decision to pass a three trillion, you know, something that increases the deficit by X trillion dollars, three trillion dollars or so? Is it irresponsible to pass a bill like that when you're seeing record inflation or like what's the workaround or what's the solution here in your eyes? To me, it's about what you're using the money for and, and who it's going to. So if you have this economic situation, I do not mind investing in airports, bridges, and roads because mm -hmm. guess what? You should have done that 10, 20 <laughs> years ago. And you know who the heck wants to right. be going over a bridge where you're concerned it's going to collapse or it actually right. does collapse. Yeah. Um, so that's it's a fine use of money. I think getting kids out of poverty is a fine use of money. I think are, are there things that you could look at this bill and be like, eh, I'm not so sure about that one. Not, yeah, mm -hmm. of course, especially in a bill this size. Um, so there are certain parts of this bill that I am super excited about, like the child tax credit. Right. And um, I, I do think that Democrats are struggling to make a really affirmative case for themselves. And you could, you could also say, look, is it the Democrats' fault that Joe Manchin is the 50th vote and he is – not on board with this stuff. It's like it's hard to blame all. Yeah, Democrats he's not really that. a Democrat, right? He's. Uh, I mean, he, well, and the Democrats, yeah. I, I think, recognize that they're lucky to have Joe Manchin. Because, it's better than the alternative, right? Well, because what are the odds of there being a Democratic senator from West Virginia? Not, not high. Yeah, really yeah. low. So then you you have <laughs> yeah, so then you have yeah. this, you take it. Yeah, you take hard. it, and then uh, you know. So that you know what that is it's a mismanaged expectation there because it was the expect the narrative was Joe had a blue house and a blue Senate. And Technically to, true. And he actually doesn't. He has a blue house and almost – he has like a purple Senate. He's a – what do you call it? An almost blue, baby blue Senate. I don't know. Yeah, that, no, you know? that's true. And and Joe Manchin has openly flirted with the idea of saying, look, if you guys don't want me in your party, I'll leave. And the Democrats are like, no, no, no. <laughs> 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 Let's not uh, – because the D uh, – Label probably didn't help him there. Yeah, West Virginia is not you know not exactly booing no. <laughs> Joe. I think West Virginia, generally speaking, is like a plus eighteen uh, Republican state, something like that. I um, I do worry about. I've always been um, hesitant on big government spending programs in general because um, the problems I've always seen is that they're very tough to get rid of, like I was saying earlier, and. It's not now that I'm worried about. It's not the implementation. That's usually pretty good. Like someone like smartly and intelligently designs a system. But it's 20 years from now, 30 years from now, where you now have creatures in the system and bloat and excess spending and things that don't work or changing with the times. I mean, you name it, right? Where you then end up uh, kind of a system now where you can literally say, if we just gave people cash, it would be you know 50 times cheaper, right? Um, 
uh, and you know you end up with that stuff, and because the government's not great at a lot of things. So the child tax credit to me is a massive victory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I hope that uh, Joe Manchin decides to uh, renew this before year end, and that they don't miss a payment. But if they do miss a payment, I am curious as to what the level of popular reaction will be, uh, because this is something that I was going to notice. Like right. if you're in one of these, I think uh, I, I saw uh, that the numbers like 62 million Americans are in households that get these payments. So you know you'll have tens of millions of Americans being like, "Hey, what happened to that thing?" Yep. You know, the, and uh, it may give rise to the conversation that Democrats should be having already. Is like, like, what is that payment? Like, how how did it get there? Who's behind it? Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, I will affirm that Democrats have done a lousy job of explaining and taking credit for something that they should be crowing about every single month. Do you think it's because it's a catch-all bill, in the sense that when Obamacare was passed, or even Trump's stuff, Trump was lower taxes and, frankly, I guess repealing some things. He wanted to fight against Obamacare. Um, but it was very, it was a little more laser-focused, if, if possible. Here you have a oh, lot yeah. in well, that bucket. Well, if you ask Democrats what they're excited about in the uh, Build Back Better bill, they're going to say all these other things that, frankly, are less direct than the child tax credit. That's, it, of course. Yeah, so, it, you know, if, if you run around saying, hey, guess what? We're reducing the cost of daycare. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, am I for that? I am for that. Yeah. I, you know, daycare is too expensive. But, you know, is that going to apply to, like, Every family, no, mm-hmm. you know, like are, are there a lot of families that'll hear that and be like, "There's nothing to do with me." <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I mean, like you should be trying to take credit for the the things that. And th- so, uh, this is actually one of the main problems of the Democratic Party right now is that uh, they're arguing for things that they think you should care about, uh, and then when there's something you do care about, they'll be like, "Oh, you know, I'm not going to pay attention to that because I- I'm not." I'm going to tell you what you should care about mm-hmm. or like, here's what I care about you caring about right. <laughs> or something like those slides. Uh, now, again, there are a lot of things in this bill that I, I very much love, um, but uh, it, it seems like they have dropped the ball generally on the child tax credit messaging. Uh, and we're going to see if this, this thing passes by year end. Uh, the thing that most people are going to notice if it does not pass by December 28th is, is going to be this missing payment in January. And then the pressure will be on, like, do they pass it in January? Does the payment happen in February? Keep going, right? They have an expectation management problem, and that, I think that cat's out of the bag now. It's, they already were expected to do something, and we haven't. Uh, well, you get the infrastructure bill, but now we've... Most people thought that uh, Build Back Better was on its way to passage. Yeah. Yes. And here we are. So we will keep you posted, as always. Uh, a couple days after, <laughs> whenever the, the Thursday after it happens, you'll know first uh, here. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing, you don't get to have your say, 
That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com yang. Go to expressvpn.com yang to learn more. We were traveling this week and we were renting a car and the people sitting at the car desk at the Hertz or where we budget or wherever we were, they looked, um, I felt for them, they, they, they looked bored. They did not look fulfilled in, in their job. Um, they were lovely to us for sure. Um, but it, it just, it hit me that that job's probably going to get automated sooner rather than later, um, given that they didn't look like they were using every second of their time. Um, and all the incentives are going that way. And we haven't talked about automation in a while. So you just went to a conference on this. So tell us uh, anything cool you saw, and then we'll dive in a little deeper. The conference was fascinating. Um, there were a few takeaways I had. Um, the first is that AI is advancing and getting more powerful and practical. There was a company, for example, that was an AI education company where they monitor your eye movements and facial movements to see if you get bored during the lesson and then if you are bored they like switch tax or do something that like you know reactivates you i should get one of those for our conversations on this podcast what are you saying bro when, you're, you're, when you get bored with whatever that well, when whatever i get boring yeah no, or vice versa it's like oh, i don't need zach i need ai zach i need ai zach you'll be like hey hey hey, hey i see your eyes step on. out of yes. it um, so, Holy cow. So ai oh, God, is, can you imagine that yeah there's AI. an art to sleeping when your teacher's not looking when you're in you know, middle school, high school, right? Put your head down. Yeah, apparently AI can see through Didn't that it. shit. Jeez, that sucks. Uh, and it, it's meant to help you engage more. And yeah, theoretically. Teach you better. Right. Um, but it, it's getting better and stronger and more practical. So that that's one takeaway. Uh, another takeaway I had was that its job replacement capacity is growing. And that's hand in hand with some of the things you're describing in the labor market. So we're in the midst of a fairly nasty cycle, which is you look up and say, hey, you're short workers. Well, like then let's automate mm -hmm. the, the jobs that are there. And then you need fewer workers and you have fewer workers. I mean, right now we're still down. Last I checked about 4 million jobs since pre-COVID. And the labor force participation rate in the United States right now is maybe 61.9%. Something really low. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the international comparables, uh, I think we're tied with Ukraine or something along those lines. If you look at other industrialized countries that you think of as modern economies and peers, they, they are, they're almost uniformly higher than us. Are, are they doing something better than we are in this, or we just have? Uh, oh, they're uh, yeah, they are. They're, you know, they like are. are they avoiding automation? Like what? That, that's kind of how I was going. Like. So what's happened here in the U.S. over the last number of years is um, you had our labor force get driven up and up by women showing up in the workforce. Mm -hmm. And then um, after that advance, then it's been going down, down, down for the last number of years and years and years. A lot of the people that are getting pushed out of the workforce are men, are, are non-college educated men. 
And by the way, that's driving a lot of political and social yeah. phenomena, um, ills. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not uh, positive in yeah. most any of these communities. And, and so then uh, you have automation also that now is speeding up. Uh, you have people who are dropping out of the workforce right now for a variety of reasons. Uh, some of it's health-related. Some of it is meaning-of-life related. I mean, this is a very, very tough time. And mm -hmm. so a lot of people are taking a step back. And if you have the capacity to, to take a step back even for a month or two, mm -hmm. uh, particularly, by the way, if you have a job that you're pretty confident you can get an equivalent job at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. if, if, if I'm in like I a... I can always go back to X. Yeah, like let, let's say I'm a server at a restaurant or I'm a retail clerk. Um, am I pr pretty confident I can just show up to another store or restaurant and get a job like that? Right now? Yes. Yeah, of course. There are help wanted signs everywhere. So yeah. it's like, well, if, if I have the capacity to take, you know, four weeks off or six weeks off and or do something, why don't I do that? Because I know I can just swap back into that job. Mm -hmm. Other countries uh, have done a, a better job of trying to find fits between workers and employers. There are some countries that have very, very generous bridge and subsidy programs where they say, look, um, you're losing your job because, for example, of automation, and this does happen in some European countries, like what, we're automating your job away. We're going to be moving heaven and earth for a while to like find you a new job. Mm -hmm. We're going to subsidize this. We're going to do that. We're going to like pay for And they, they actually execute. Like, better you know, than we do. Yeah, They're better than we do. Like here, a politician goes to a mic and says, we're going to do this, and then just everyone forgets about it, right. and then you go That's back it. and nothing happened. Um, but some of these countries actually are... Uh, taking workers and leading them by the hand to like employers and being like, hey, let, let's try and make this thing work. Interesting. Um, so there are uh, there's some trends that are speeding up in the U.S. and AI is part of this. I talked to one company that has a labor replacing robot that costs approximately fifty five thousand dollars and replaces one worker um, working all the time. So it never stops. Yeah. So if you do the math on that, like that robot's going to pay for itself within one year. Yeah. Maybe less. Probably less because they're not working working weekends and nights, right? Yeah. And, and so I think that robot's going to sell a lot of units. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when you know when you look up and say, hey, where where the jobs go? I mean, people are going to go like, well, you know, no one wanted this job, so we got this robot. Yeah. And and here it is. So that was the the second big takeaway I had. Um, the third was I got reminded of some of the hazards around uh, AI leapfrogging humanity and being unfettered in its impact and decision-making. There was this Russian mathematician. You could oh. tell he was fucking brilliant. It was one of those things. But he, When they he, talk he, math in an accent, I usually just think you're smarter than you actually yeah, are. This, That's because I'm dumb. This, this guy was also a professor in a major university <laughs> and the rest of it. So he was okay. talking about... Um, uh, there were some smart people I'm at sure, this conference. Yeah. Like really, really uh, high-end. Yeah, so the this, types of conferences Andrew's getting invited to on AI are pretty, for what it's, for what it's worth, they're pretty cool, man. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, you better be. You're one of the you're the one of the bigger thought leaders on the topic. Okay, keep going. Yeah, and, and yeah, it, it's thank you for saying so. Uh, it, it's also the case that I turn down a lot of freaking. Yeah, we get, I mean, that's what I'm saying. You get a lot of them. So when you decide to go, yeah, it's it, go it's a one. good yeah. one because yeah. most of them I just I'm just like, hey, yeah. I can't. And no offense if you've invited things. us to a conference. We get a lot. It's not personal. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's a little personal. But <laughs> okay, done. So, the, so this uh, mathematician said something that stuck with me, even though I kind of knew this stuff already. He was like, hey, if you have an AI that, let's say, is like a little smarter than a human, um, maybe maybe it's genius level. Maybe you have like a human genius level AI. Mm -hmm. But then it can self-replicate itself 
like a thousand or a million times over. And so then you have a million genius level intellects working on something simultaneously and it can actually line itself up so that it's all able to, to conjoin. Mm. Um, so you, you reflect on that for a moment. You're like, oh my gosh, then you can really <laughs> solve a, 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 oh, a, a lot of... If it's like above average intelligence. Yeah, he's like, he's like, it doesn't even force. need to be like, you, you don't need like one like super genius level AI. If, if you have even like a fairly intelligent AI that you can then replicate a thousand or a million times over and mm -hmm. because of the way it's wired, it can actually have those um, those units all working in tandem in concert, mm -hmm. so that they they're um, speeding each other up or yep. uh, speeding up the entire process. And then it really dawns on you for a moment. You're like, oh, wait a minute, th th this thing really <laughs> is going to uh, transform a lot of what we think of as work. Um, so this particular mathematician, there were a number of things that a lot of smart people said at this conference, but they were like, hey, uh, right now the natural uh, state of affairs is going to lead the rewards to end up being held in the hands of a small number of firms mm -hmm. or individuals. Um, and the level of public safeguards are kind of lacking. Um, and so we should be pursuing some kind of Manhattan Project government-led uh, initiative to try and keep AI from doing negative things um, as it's getting stronger and more powerful. And I, I heard this from a number of people there, and they were all correct. And then I thought to myself, oh, gosh, like, where is our government on this? Um, and our, our government is not exactly, you know, uh, at the vanguard of trying to figure out right. what, what's happening in these labs uh, or in these firms. Um, so... That reminded me of, of some of the large-scale issues that we're facing. Another person spoke about how there are a couple dozen countries that already are investing in AI weapon systems that uh, are going to naturally want to make decisions as quickly as possible because you have to consult a human. It slows you down. So one of the proposals is for countries to come together and adopt a treaty that says, hey, a human has to decide when to use lethal force. It's not just that an autonomous system goes, whoop, you're in the wrong place, like, you dead, yep. uh, that sort of thing. Um, but he said that the natural impulse for countries is going to be for speed and efficiency and not trying to have a human somewhere in that Correct. link. Security guards, like guarding a border of some sort or a drone or something like that, where maybe it's got some humanity baked into its code, but it's going to shoot to kill when it sees a warm body or whatever it is, right? Is that kind of what we're talking about? And especially some of the countries that are bootstrapping that. They're just like, it kills anything that moves, right? Yeah, and then you have asymmetrical non-country actors. So there's an international mm -hmm. world order that right now is not exactly humming. Right. And, you know, you have different factions. Uh, and then you have non-state actors uh, and whatever protocol you come up with. So right now the countries can't even agree on how to use AI right. militarily. And then if you have non-state actors or even terrorist organizations getting a hold of some of these things, they then of course, there are they're, they're, yeah. gonna be no rules. So you you start reflecting on what this is gonna mean over time, you're like, oh my gosh. Uh, so, the, so those were some of the things that I took away. And I will say that this conference was very, very positive. They were people that were trying to solve these problems. They were like, look, let's come together and, and um, get in front of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't want to be super pessimistic in, in part because, uh, you know, 
like it, it was a conference around solutions, but a lot of very smart people were very concerned about the natural trends. Yeah, and we have been for a while. Um, you ever read? I used to read this blog, Wait But Why. Yeah, yeah. By Tim Urban, and he's done. He is, is one on Elon Musk a while ago. It was really good. Um, but he did another one on AI, and basically the school of thought, at least then, and I think it's still the case, is that. Um, so there's like three forms of AI. There's can do one task better than a human being. That's like when we play the computer in chess or we uh, play, you know, someone uh, GPS, I guess, giving you directions faster or something like that. One task, though. Then there's it can do every task. It's as smart as a human being. And then uh, we haven't gotten there yet. And the third one is it's smarter than a human being. And in his uh, the, the, the school of thought is that we're at stage one right now. We know it's not an if, but it's a when we'll get to stage two when the computer is as smart as human being. But we don't know we don't know when that is, but we do know that once we hit two, we'll essentially immediately hit three. Be, because as, as soon as as soon as it has the capacity to improve itself, then it could improve itself to be smarter than us. Yeah. It, it, you know, and then infinite. Yeah. Yeah, exponentially so. Yeah. And uh, then the so analogy he used in this this blog post is that it'd be like um we will be like a monkey looking at a skyscraper. Like we'll know it's a skyscraper, or we'll know like it's a big object. We'll know it's got shapes and forms, and maybe people going in and out, and we can see activities, but we won't fundamentally understand what that skyscraper is, which is terrifying. I think in AI in general, I don't know. It's like a next stage of human evolution or evolution. I guess it's not human anymore. <laughs>
25 to 40% of their time writing grant proposals, which, by the way, is a waste of time if you're, yeah. you know, a high-end scientist. Like, you should just be actually doing research and whatnot. And and he said, oh, yeah, there are a bunch of problems associated with the funding of, uh, of science um, where if you're a scientist, you kind of know what the grantors are going to like. And most of the time, it's going to be building upon past research that got a grant. Mm -hmm. And so you wind up with one, it's super time-consuming, and two, you're going to be pursuing avenues that people kind of are confident are fruitful. If you are someone who mm. is going down a new road, and by the way, maybe you know you don't have that much time, or you don't have like ten prior grants and like mm -hmm. you know and and this massive decades-long career in academia, then you won't get a grant. Um, and so there's not a lot of risk-taking in science, but in these environments, sometimes this particular um, academic, for example, had received over $10 million in funding from uh, like a tech philanthropist who recognized that this person was maybe going to help cure uh, brain diseases and was like, here's here's some money. Right. Um, and so that there are some things going on like that are, that are at the margins. Uh, one of the big questions is, could you actually get into the guts of, for example, the NIH grant process and uh, make it better, speed it up in right. some way? There was a, another initiative uh, called Fast Grants that one of the Stripe founders started just doling out mini grants to mm -hmm. scientific projects and just to see if um, there, there might be something promising that right now is getting overlooked. I instinctively love this stuff. Yeah. Um, I talked to my brother who's a professor and said, hey, what percentage of the time do you spend oh, writing no. grants? And he said, you know, half, 30, 30 to 40. Uh, and so, so if you've never written a grant. It's usually awful. It's like a questionnaire on a job application. Oh, it, it's you know? it's a million times worse than that. Like I, I, I talked <laughs> I think to that's terrible. What I talked to my brother about. So here here's here are my conversations with my brother as an example. I'll be like, hey man, what's up? And he'll be like, hey, can't talk. Grant due ten days from now. And I actually know exactly what that means because the the week to two weeks before the grant, he's. Um, pulling near all-nighters. He's trying to pull together all this research from different uh, people and teams. Uh, it, imagine something that's like thesis level, oh, um, but it's not just yours. You have to bring in partners uh, and co-authors, and then you submit this mega proposal to DNIH, and oh, by the way, people's careers depend upon what score they give it. So that there's like a, a freak out. So if my brother says to me, I have a grant proposal within 10 days, that means I will not talk to you until oh after this grant proposal is done. And then after the grant proposal is in, there is even like a recuperation day because of all of the grinding. Like, like if you look back to, you know, when we were in, in college or whatnot, you remember, you know, like finals period and like the then like you that die for a day. Out, then, yeah. So imagine doing that as like an adult for decades. Uh, like that's <laughs> the process that right now we have uh, built for are best researchers, by the way. Like yeah. these, these are people that are actually doing the best stuff. Because if you're not doing the best stuff, you're not going to get a grant <laughs> to begin with. Like, but we're we're going to put people who have already proven themselves through these crazy um, processes. Because uh, and, and oh, by the way, and this is the other bottleneck my brother my brother described to me was that who evaluates this crazy grant proposal that he writes? It has to be peer reviewed. So there's like a limited number of world-class researchers who can evaluate the proposal to be able to say whether or not it it's makes sense. Work. So so this is a bottleneck because there aren't 
like you know an unlimited number <laughs> of oh, these. Interesting. Signed. And so one of the things I said to him was like, why don't we just fucking pay the reviewers? And he's like, right now, reviewers don't get paid because it's a privilege and you're furthering science, mm. uh, and, and and they don't want to taint it with commercial motivations. Yeah. And I was like, what's tainting it with commercial motivations? Like, I'm not going to give you a high score just because someone freaking you know compensated me. <laughs> at least I thought this was at least one bottleneck. Um, because if you're a world-class scientist, you're trying to do your own research, and then when they hit you up to review someone else's grant proposal, it's not exactly the top of your priority list. Mm -hmm. I mean, you might do it because, uh, you know, you want to give back. Um, but th there's a ton of stuff in academia in particular that operates on these soft incentives mm. where you're not getting paid. It's like, oh, this is a privilege. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's like, or it's the publisher parish thing. It's like, hey, if you... Uh, are writing these papers and you get this prestige and then you know you get to keep your job or get tenure or, or yeah. whatever the thing is like that, that there's this entire elaborate set of incentives it's highly institutionalized so if you imagine these uh innovative cutting edge scientific research projects they're probably not going to be included in the conventional process much of the time so this is where my head went on this is that we just had a conversation on joe biden and his administration how they are not doing a good enough job, like selling their work, if you will. And and we're like, yeah, you better do better job selling it. But here we are talking about professors and they, I, I guess the equivalent of them selling their work is like trying to get more money and selling, selling their work and their ideas to others. Like there's, I guess my question to you is like in most parts of, in any sort of, I'm going to call it entrepreneurship or building anything, there's a certain level of building and then selling what you're freaking building, right? Um, and if you're an entrepreneur, if you're CEO, like how often are you fundraising? If you're a nonprofit, it's all the time. But if you're a CEO, it's probably probably 30 to 50% of your time, right? Probably a similar range, maybe. Is it, um, are, you, are, are you saying, I think you are maybe, that for wor worlds like academia, where you have like that level of one commitment and expertise and probably super brain that we should get them off of that. Like they've devoted their life to just discovery. Like, I don't know, you know why should it be different than some of the other worlds you and I operate in? Well, heck man, I mean, uh, as people who run nonprofits when you're like always fundraising and whatnot. We hated it. Yeah, oh, or, <laughs> oh, you know, guess what also? Like you're not doing the work during those times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you're- It's true. Like, I mean, I went to conferences all the time as the head of a nonprofit and just trying to, be around people with uh, grant writing mm -hmm. capacities. It was a strange thing. It's like you'd go. The other thing is you had to be um, really uh, discreet. Like you can't go around and be like, "Hey, give me money." Hey, give me money. Or everyone mm -hmm. be like, "Oh, who the heck are you're you?" Instead, you're like, "Yeah." You're like, "Oh, um, I you love know, what you're building." Let me oh tell you yeah, my no, story. yeah. Would uh, would yeah <laughs> would would love your guidance on how we can improve our. You know, so there's like this kabuki. Um, <laughs> now, for uh, an academic, it turns out there is a marketplace for their research. And they're bound to it in mm. various ways. So the, the main marketplace for the research is uh, the NIH or whatever um, agency is funding the research. But most of the most of the stuff, at least I've I've heard of in um, the fields um, that we're talking about, is through the, the right. NIH. And so if you get a grant from the NIH, then they pay for your research, and the, the school that you're associated with gets some of that grant money. So if you're at a level where you're getting millions of dollars in grants from the the NIH then any institutions like ooh like you pay mm. for yourself if you're an academic and your grants run dry mm -hmm. uh, then 
if you're, for example, tenured, then you get to keep your job, but you have to teach classes for your salary. And then if you're teaching classes, you don't have time to do research. So this is the thing that all these academics are trying to avoid. They're trying to be like, oh, I have to get grants so I can do more research. And oh, by the way, like not spend all my time teaching classes. Right. Um, that That's not you know, what, what professors are digging <laughs> for the most part. Now, if, uh, now I, I talked about this academic who's getting money from a tech philanthropist. Now that's highly, highly unusual. Yeah. There's not much of a private uh, or philanthropic market for academic research. Most mm-hmm. of them are just beholden to the, the grant writing. And I'm assuming that's because it's low ROI, right? If you're, you're throwing 10 million bucks at a curing cancer or XYZ research project, your odds are you're probably not going to find it right until, you know, years and years and years later, millions and more dollars. Is that why the, the market's low so or small? It, it, it's only that there are superstar academics who are doing research that is interesting enough where if you're a philanthropist, you're going to throw Got money it. at it. Yeah. We used to, at UBS, it was, there were some, but there was not a huge appetite for this kind of crazy risk research, if that makes sense. Like I would talk to professors decently often. They'd be like, oh, we've got a new way to, we think we can cure colon cancer, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know, single donor. It's like passionate about funding that, right? Um, like sometimes, but not a lot, you know. So the, um, the, this is something that I'm very interested in: is seeing if there's a better way to fund scientific advances, so that we're seeing more breakthroughs, more medicines, more positive things. Yeah. Um, because through my family, I've I've seen the current system. Uh, being an academic, it was kind of the family business. My dad was a professor. My grandfather was a professor. Yeah. Uh, my brother's a professor. Uh, I'm I'm kind of the, you know, You're the black sheep for. I'm the educational your, runt of the yeah. litter. Yeah. Like <laughs> no, no no PhD. Lack of PhD, Yang. Uh, and <laughs> there, there was a brief period when I was in college. I thought like, should I try and be a professor? But I was like, ah, it's not for me. Like I, you know, right. and and seeing my brothers career as much as I admire and respect all the stuff he, he, he does I, I also think like that it wouldn't have been a good fit for me right if you're a wealthy donor right you're worth a hundred million you're talking about people with a hundred million dollars on up right because they can easily write your five to ten million dollar checks and move the needle for these places the universities know who they are and find them because they have massive development teams and their job is to really scour the world for rich people and and get these checks so the universities are doing that job for the professors to get their cut, if that makes sense. You know, uh, they're but when the universities are are scouring these donors, they're, they're getting a, they're getting big money instead of just specific project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're not they're funding they're getting their own kitty right, and yeah, they'll yeah, totally they'll pitch it like, oh, we're curing colon cancer, we're curing X, we're doing. All Sometimes this they'll be like, hey, there's a professor you want to fund their research, but yeah. for the most part, it's just going to the university. Yeah, let's do our awesomeness, and they get their handheld, they get by to the party. It's all the get their name on the building, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, different model. Um, anyway, um, I want to ask you this quickly before we shift to something a little more positive, although this is positive, but um, the world of automation, we never talked about this when you running for president, was that, um, but you wrote about, and now we're seeing epic effects of this, it's probably worse than we imagined, with mental health and the deterioration, deterioration of mental health in the United States of America. I, I had this thought today, and I'm curious if you've seen this in your research or you had thoughts on it, is... Do you think the mental health deterioration and the problems with mental health in the United States are actually accelerating automation because human beings, if their mental health is declining, probably become more painful to employ or deal with in the sense that... Well, maybe they're not. They're, maybe they're quitting their jobs, too. Yeah. And so imagine this will... 
we never talked about that. Is it an accelerant of automation? But I imagine it would be. Well, it's an accelerant of people having unfilled jobs, and then you're going to look around and say, okay, how do I mm. how do I man this uh, retail kiosk or counter? Right. How do I make this restaurant more efficient or whatever it happens to be? Yeah, that, that's happening for sure. One of the, the things that a lot of us can sense right now is that there there is – uh, a massive spike in people feeling anxious, depressed, lonely, out of touch, disconnected. I saw a documentary, Yang Gang documentary, actually. Thank you, Ching. Um, My Yang Gang Diary. Um, you saw your own documentary? Uh, what are you saying? Yeah. Um, <laughs> cool. But it, it was based in 2019. And you realize just how positive th- times were relative to now. Mm. Like You just see people walking around in 2019. I mean, you know, it's like... It, there's a very very sharp difference between 2021 and 2019. Yeah, and the the pain is accelerating all sorts of terrible things. Uh, people are struggling very very fundamentally. It's one reason why I'm so passionate about this child tax credit because at, at a minimum we can take the um, existential pressure off mm-hmm. for millions of families. But yeah, the mental health crisis is worse than ever in my opinion. I think it's I miss these like little interactions at work. You know, well, so this know. is something I said to Derek too, where, where uh, and I, I have family members who are in this boat. Where if you ask them, it's like, hey, do you want to go back to the office? I'm like, hell no, I don't want to go back to the office. Yeah. Um, but then if you watch them over three or six months, like working from home, they become depressed and miserable. Yeah. Now, so if, if you were to choose, I mean, no one wants friction. No one's going to be like, yes, yeah, sign me up yeah. for a commute. Sign yeah. me up to for my annoying my boss. Sign me up for <laughs> <laughs> yeah. annoying corporate behavior. For Larry in accounting who brings tuna fish in for lunch every day. No, thank you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but then it, it turns out that the absence of all of those uh, interactions you're talking about, like don't lead you to positive places right. necessarily. Um, and that's playing out in like hundreds of thousands, probably millions of households around the country. We are doing a lot of fun stuff. Normally on this podcast, we're talking about some of the stuff we're working on and you're working on. Um, the only stuff we really talk about is forward party work, which is going great, and there's there's movement there. But um, we got uh, also, more coming also, on the pipe, which I, is exciting. I want to throw out there, too, humanityforward.com has been lobbying for uh, the child tax credit. They're really doing great work, too. I am so proud of both Humanity Forward and the forward party. Like Humanity Forward is the wholesome lobbyists for good stuff. Mm-hmm. We have some big uh, announcements on that front soon. And then the forward party, super excited about this unifying political movement to try to create real choice. Uh, and um, cure the dysfunction in our democracy. I had a very exciting meeting about that earlier today. So there, there is some great stuff going on uh, on both of those fronts. Yeah. It's, um, so we have more coming on the pike, which hopefully – so there is – there's more optimism to come. Even you know, um, But for starters, so imagine it, it's Thursday you're listening to this, the 16th. Hopefully many of you are starting to go home for the holidays, maybe this weekend – Maybe you work from home a little bit with the family. So I like we got a lot of good positive feedback on content recommendations last time. So Andrew, what are you watching over the break? I, I mentioned it last time, but uh, I'm going to miss Succession. I just saw the season finale. So I haven't, it, I haven't it, watched it yet. That's on my list, yeah. So if people haven't watched Succession, that's some quality TV. I heard it's good. I heard it's really good. <laughs> uh, 
I can talk about some of the stuff I have not seen, which is kind of hazardous. I was a huge Matrix fan, huge Matrix fan. Oh, yeah. And I think this Matrix Resurrections movie is going to be good. It's coming out Christmas Eve. There is that uh, Don't Look Up movie on Netflix that you said looks hysterical uh, by Adam McKay. Who oh, did yeah, the big with short. Leo and, and Jennifer Lawrence. And Jennifer her. Lawrence, which looks really good. That looks pretty good. And that's going to be on Netflix. And I love the big short. Looking. He's a good director. Yes. Uh, I'm going to do something a little bit mixed uh, and so that this might not be useful. I read this fantasy book series called The Wheel of Time years and years ago when I was a kid. Yeah. And they just came out with a maybe $200 million version of it on Amazon, on Amazon, yeah. Amazon Prime. Have you watched this? I have not watched it. It's on my list. It's not the top of the list, though. Should I put it on the top of the list? Or you, this is your plan to watch? Well, th- so I, I watched a few episodes, and this is not a wholehearted recommend. Okay. Um, th- this is like you watch it, and it, it kind of g- it, it gave me mixed feelings as someone who kind of knew the characters and the, the book. Okay. Um, but it, it there is like a... Xena warrior princess vibe to it plus just lots of blood it's <laughs> 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 so like, like like it's just going along and then every once in a while something kind of gnarly happens you're like what <laughs> like, okay and then it reminded me too so I, I was watching this series and I was reminded of the books and then I looked up the author of the books and he was a military veteran and it, it gave me those kinds of vibes where it's like the, the books seemed very compelling when I was a kid because there was like a grittiness and realism to them. Mm. Um, so the my caveat on the series is like it, it it's not giving me like escapist good times. You're not getting circa 2021. It's like ah. it, it's kind of making me feel like oh it's a little depressing and raw. Yeah, it's like, a little bit like okay. oh you know like the the kind of grittiness. You know, it's like it's not necessarily what I'm looking for. <laughs> it's my girlfriend. She doesn't like most of the stuff I want to watch. Not that she doesn't like the shows. It's just that she wants to watch something happier. You know. Yeah, it, it's funny because like Succession, I mean, it's it's gritty in the sense that you know, it feels true to human nature. Um, so and, you know, but Emma right. and I have been enjoying the heck out of that. But and there's humor there, at least, you know. Yes, uh, I saw A Quiet Place two on streaming the other Ooh. day, and that was a tight watch. It was like only in maybe an hour and thirty seven minutes, and I was surprised by how crisp and enjoyable it was. It was a very very succinct, I love compact movie. So here's all I'll add. I watched King Richard the other night. You had recommended that. That's an uplifting movie. Very well done. Um, the I didn't realize that the Williams sisters produced that, which is uh, even cooler. I'm a big Will Smith fan. Um, what I'm excited to watch, I got three things excited to watch. I'm excited to watch, and you guys can hold me accountable if it's bad or good, Foundation on Apple TV. If you have that another one. Another expensive um, sci-fi series. I've not yeah, seen another it. one. It sounds similar. Not similar to Wheel of Time, but it's about... Um, Frankly, like restarting human civilization. So, but I think it's a little more uplifting than what that sounds like. Um, apparently, the Sandra Bullock movie called The Unforgivable that just came out on Netflix is very good. Um, probably watch that. The new Spider Man movie's out, but I think you have to watch it in theaters or comes out over the holidays. But that relates that relationship is adorable. One Tom other Zend- Zendaya. One other series that Evelyn and I have been watching and enjoying a lot is a show called Genius uh, that's now on Hulu. The first season is about Albert Einstein, and I did not know most of this stuff about Einstein's life. It was based on the Walter Isaacson biography, and you're like, wow, this is what was going on with Einstein like uh, at the time. And uh, and so 
that that's been a really good watch. It's done by I think either National Geographic or the BBC. It's kind of got that Euro vibe, like you know, kind of dignified. Okay, like I'm Je- learning something. Jeffrey Rush uh, plays Einstein. Okay, uh, at a certain time, so the the <laughs> talent level is very high. Emily Watson's in it. That gives you a sense of it. Emma Watson? No, Emily Watson, who's like kind of the older, dignified British actress. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. So th- there are some dignified Brits, uh, and so it, they're it, pretty good it, acting. It it feels classy. Uh, I learned something. There's a lot of history, history and context. Genius, and Gen- and and they they switch subjects every season. So season one's Einstein. Got it. And there's a different one every time. Yep. Um, here's what I will say: if you're gonna binge a podcast that is not forward, Us. obviously, um, my brother got me down this rabbit hole, and it was worth it. There's a podcast called The Murdoch Murders. It's M U R D A. I think it's A U G H. It's about a family in South Carolina that basically has run this county in South Carolina for like a hundred years. And there's like four random murders that happen that you would never think you're connected. There's like a DUI on a boat and then there's a double homicide. And then there's a housekeeper, like caretaker that fell down the stairs. And there's another like attempted suicide. And there's a guy who gets hit the hit and run. And they're all different people and they all get, and they're all connected to the same freaking dude. And the way it's done, like she's a reporter, she's reporting on it in real time. It is fascinating. It's the basically the trial of Alec Murdoch or the case against Alec Murdoch, and it's wild. And it catches you up to the present because it's still going. So I'm a little pissed that I can't keep binging, but it's very good. Um, I will very say, there, her um, and she talks about this. Her voice is not like uh, soothing. I'd say I don't want like people to voice their voice, but I will say like, don't come at me and be like, I didn't like her voice. Like that, she addresses that in the second episode. But I think she's super talented and does a really good job diving in. And it's got it's got everything you want into like a, a a case like that, a true crime case. So, uh, yeah, I've been that past couple of days, if you will. Um, we'll be back next week with some more happy holidays recommendations. Uh, you know, I, I was yeah, I was I was someone who was like, look, let's try and put some escapism, joy, charm. Um, I am feeling great right now, but. It's a very, very tough time, and I, like I, I've had my ups and downs this past period. So hopefully, you end this year on an up note. Uh, get ready to hug your loved ones, get home for the holidays, and, and hopefully, really enjoy ourselves. Amen, man. Life is about people and relationships. So tell someone you love them, give them a hug. I'll give you a hug, maybe. I'll give you a high five. I've been staring at you too long, man. So I'll yeah, I'll yeah, fist pound. We did it. Another episode of Forward. <laughs> Happy holidays, guys. See you next week.